Hello, everybody. You're listening to the Big Chill Podcast. This is episode 411, exploring the life of Johnny F.B. Chillians, and welcome back to the Big Chill Podcast. I'm Frank, joined as always with Eddie. So, Eddie, how's it going? Yeah, it's going pretty well. I'm, I'm happy we're getting towards the end of the week. I have to admit, this has been a tiring week for me. So, I am looking forward to the weekend in a way that I probably usually don't. <laughs> Must be tough to start working again. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, just, you know, like sometimes I don't notice too much now that it's constant work from home and the kind of that kind of scenario, sometimes the, the week bleeds into the weekday yeah. or even the weekend. Can't even get it out right. But, but yeah. And I guess also for, you know, if you're tuning in, if you're here for the, the Johnny FD interview, because that's on this episode and I know we'll probably have a, a bunch of new listeners coming in to learn more about one of their favorite YouTubers, uh, that interview takes place around probably going to say I'm going to guess now and say about 30 minutes into this episode but we're we're recording you know who knows exactly but don't skip ahead you know listen to the podcast if you're uh if you're a new listener make sure to subscribe and uh, you can also go and check out our content on YouTube if that's your preferred platform and make sure to to follow us there but keep in mind most of our content stays purely audio or follow us on Twitter and Instagram as well and uh, start posting clips. Yes, on yeah. Where our activity ranges, sometimes pretty active, sometimes not so much. I think it's just what they tell you to do in terms of growing social media channels: is inconsistent, infrequent activity. <laughs> just go dormant. Tip number one. <laughs> yeah, go dormant for a while. Make sure that the fans that are still there, they're the true fans. That's how we weed you all out. So, so maybe. You know, if we have a bunch of new listeners now, instead of going hardcore into a, a sports topic and ripping apart someone like Eli Apple, who still can't shut up after losing a Super Bowl, I have a, a topic that popped up on my Facebook feed that I wanted to see what you thought about, Eddie. So Happy Gilmore turns 26 years old today. And I think I guess now since they did the 25th anniversary last year, they're just going to repeat this every year. It's, it's such an important movie to the sports culture that Happy Gilmore has to get credit for every yearly anniversary. But what they posted with it is who's the best sports movie villain of all time. And obviously they're saying this because you have Shooter McGavin, who is a quite hateable character in Happy Gilmore. The other ones that they've given are Ivan Drago from Rocky, White Goodman from Dodgeball, Big Red from Bring It On, Johnny Lawrence from Karate Kid, Rachel Phelps from Major League. Controversial. The Johnny Lawrence being a villain in the, yeah. in the world in which Cobra Kai has made us rethink the uh, Karate Kid background story. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe Larusso, Danny Larusso, is the is the villain in that. Very true. Uh, Rachel Phelps, the uh, owner from Major League. Bud Kilmore, uh, Kilmer, the coach from Friday Night Lights. Um, or no, sorry, sorry, not Friday Night uh, Varsity Blues, sorry. I was going to be like, wait, which coat is that a really <laughs> yeah. racist coat from Friday Night Lights? Because if, if, that's, if that's who it is, then I'm going to say he's the biggest villain. 
sorry, Bud Kilmer from Varsity Blues. Clubber Lang, also Rocky, or Jean Girard from Talladega Nights, and then other. <laughs> it's a pretty long list you've just thrown at me there. And by the time you got to the end, I think I'd forgotten some of the names at the beginning. Uh, I'm gonna go Dodgeball, the 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 Ben Stiller White character Goodman? from Dodgeball, because yeah, because he's like a true villain. A lot of them aren't real villains; they're just the rival of the person in question. You know. Like, even Drago is not really a villain, apart from his Well, just he killed someone in the ring. <laughs> yeah, but he didn't. He kind of purposely he did it. Like, but he kind of purposely killed him. He could have stopped. <laughs> but, but I mean, I, I, yeah, I'll go, I'll go Ben Stiller in Dodgeball. He is, he is a true villain. Yeah, that's a good one. I like that. I mean, my real... Aside from that, I might go the um, I go the from the natural. Oh, okay. You know the the woman who shoots him. She's a real villain. Yeah. I would say the Rachel Phelps, the owner from Major League, because she's actively trying to ruin the career of her entire organization. It's pretty villainous. I guess, but maybe. I mean, we had that in Ted Lasso. That exact storyline and then there was a change of heart in ted lasso maybe that's the villain nate yeah season one the owner rebecca can't remember her full name she would have been a major villain and then plot twist no spoilers but season two not so bad yeah but spoiler alert for season two of ted lasso maybe nate is the villain i don't know if you heard but aaron Rodgers and shailene woodley have separated and they are Oh, really? Yeah. Yep. That was released yesterday. This whirlwind engagement. He does not have a good track record with relationships. And I don't want to like find any pleasure or humor in the fact, because obviously disappointing and potentially devastating for him. But he definitely does not have a good track record at this point. Uh, but, I mean, f- family relationships, professional relationships, uh, you know, like adult relationships every aspect of his life from a 10,000 foot view here looks like he has trouble with relationships I mean this you you know you're starting to get a picture of maybe who this person is yeah and it's obviously from an outsider's perspective it's so hard to judge it's also interesting right because it's appeared as if she had been kind of an influence in terms of his adoption of homeopathy and and the more unusual medical approach that he had taken throughout the pandemic so it's then interesting to see as to whether or not he abandoned ship on that particular approach and suddenly gets himself vaccinated and starts acting like a normal human being although i know he's still he's still friends with dr joe rogan so as long as he's got that going on i'm sure he'll still stay out there so i guess the piece of sports news we should discuss is the champions league is back and off to a somewhat Rough start for some betters out there. <laughs> it was an inter- yeah, it was an interesting first set of games. Uh, obviously, I think the big storyline was the PSG Real Madrid game. Not only because I think on paper it's the most compelling; it's the kind of two teams you'd give each team a chance of winning the Champions League itself. Which maybe in the other ties, I guess Liverpool Inter Milan kind of falls into that category. But people remain very skeptical about Inter's prospects in Europe. But the big talking point out of the PSG Real Madrid match was obviously Mbappe is out of contract. 
at the end of the year, and all speculation points to the fact that he will be signing for Real Madrid. He scored a last-minute winner in the match. After the match, he then claimed he has yet to make a decision on his future and that uh, he's already playing for one of the biggest clubs in the world and that until the end of the season, he is solely focused on playing for PSG. I think that's as good of an answer of saying I'm leaving as you can kind of give <laughs> mid-season when you're, I won't make that. It's, it's kind of what LeBron James has done on several occasions where it's, I'm happy here for now, but I'll I'll assess my options at the end of the season. That basically means whatever options are out there, one of them is not going to be where I currently am. Yeah, so I guess you had uh, PSG winning, uh, Man City comfortably cruising past. Those were Tuesday's matchups. And then Wednesday you had, uh, what was the first match? Wow, you're you, you just I so comfortable. I can't so, think of it. So we've had we've had four matches so far. So you had City as comfortable winners against uh, oh Sporting. Liverpool, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and which is another opportunity for us to say right another week where I have seen uh, a numerous people within the sporting community speak about the fact that Manchester City had played Sporting Lisbon, which is not their name. Already gave this piece of advice on a previous podcast. Actually had feedback from the listeners saying they were unaware of this fact. But their name is just Sporting. Uh, And so, yeah, City were comfortable winners. PSG were last-minute winners against Real Madrid. Liverpool were fairly comfortable 2-0 winners away uh, in Milan. And then the surprise of the week so far was Salzburg managing to get a one-all draw with Bayern getting a last-minute equalizer at home to Bayern Munich. You'd still assume that with that being the away leg, Bayern will go through comfortably. But on the back of a surprising 4-2 defeat at the weekend, it looks like Bayern might not be in the best of form at the moment. Yeah, and uh, they are disappointing betters all over the world. (laughs) Yeah, although listener Ollie... He has a soft spot for Salzburg. He claimed to have some level of intuition that Salzburg might spring a surprise. Good for him. Yeah. So happy for Ali at all times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Who knows? He might make an appearance on the podcast in the near future. You know, I, I obviously spoke with him about it a little bit at the weekend. Said one of the things he needed to sort out was a proper studio setup to record the podcast. And because he does his uh, Twitch streaming for playing video games, he actually has a pretty high-tech setup for that. So he meets all of the requirements from a technical standpoint for recording the podcast. So there are no other excuses to not have him on at some point in the future. Now, let's be clear. Unlike the YouTuber Johnny FD that we have coming up shortly, that will not be an invited interview that will simply no. be him joining the podcast to talk about things yeah, a, in no way, shape, yeah, or form. A, am I interviewing Ollie as a guest on our podcast? Yeah, no, I think, no, he doesn't quite have the necessary following to qualify as a guest. He will be a contributor. But no, and, and maybe that's then a, a natural way for us to transition away from our our little preamble and right on to the interview that many people will have tuned in for. So I guess we can switch over to a very interesting interview with Johnny FD 
and one that very little mention of sport, but a lot of mention of travel, a lot of mention of food, and a lot of mention of net worth. Well, welcome back to the Big Chill Podcast. We're now delighted to be joined by our guest, Johnny FD, YouTuber, podcast host, global nomad. I don't know how best to describe you, but thank you very much for taking the time to speak with us. Yeah, happy to be on. I was a little bit skeptical because I don't watch sports. And I was like, what am I going to do on the podcast? It's okay. Neither do we. We don't. No, it's kidding. (laughs) We don't exclusively discuss sports. Um, We're kind of like all over the place. Like, I guess sports are our bread and butter, but we do go into food, pop culture, all over travel, travel, kind of a little bit all over. Yeah, we're we're all over the place. We've had YouTubers on before, so no pressure to discuss sports. But I have seen you've done, you've done like workout videos. Yeah. And so, okay. So I'm, I'm lying. Uh, I got into really into UFC for a while, uh, and I still watch that. Uh, I liked it because they were only showing fights like once a month, and it was like exactly enough where I could feel like I participate. I could feel like I always know what was going on, but without being overwhelmed. Uh, with what about now? Almost every what other. Do you, what do you feel about it? Because <laughs> uh, now I feel so, like it's on every. Yeah. Week. <laughs> so now they. Have, yeah, yeah. Now it seems like there's like fights like twice a week. Sometimes it's just like it, there's just too much. So I just I haven't been following it. Um, it's kind of like that. I mean, I understand why they, they want to push more, just because I'm sure they make more money. But from a from a kind of a casual fan's point of view, it was it was hard. It was before it was perfect. I'm like, oh yeah, once a month, I'll, you know, I'll make time for that. But now I just can't do it. Yeah, you can. I can definitely re- re- relate to the feeling of being overwhelmed by the sheer amount of sports at times. I mean, I've kind of thrown myself fully into it, and then kind of following everything. But there are definitely moments when it's a little bit too much. And if you are trying to be a casual fan. You know, you don't want to feel as if I've watched 10% of what's happened this season. Yeah. And I, and I remember, I, I forgot if it was a basketball game or an NFL game, but I remember I was at a friend's house and we're, you know, going to go eat. And I was like, oh, there's only, I was like, oh, there's only 20 more minutes left of the game. He's like, yeah. And I was like, okay, I could wait. It's fine. That 20 minutes took like, <laughs> like over an hour. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's the other good thing about UFC or boxing or any, basically any of the combat sports. You kind of know it's either going to take X amount of time or less. Like you're never going to get dragged into suddenly this took three hours longer than I expected it would. Apart from they consistently start late. I guess that's the only other downside. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. So actually the sports was actually, well, my, my not love of sports, I guess was the reason why I actually started kind of this alternative lifestyle and I started traveling. Um, growing up in San Francisco, I never felt like I fit in, you know? Like I remember when people started, I think the only sport I played until like fourth grade was handball, which, you know, isn't you know actually a, like a sport. And then in fifth grade, everyone got into basketball. And I think because I was good at handball, I didn't want to change. I was like, no, 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 like people are gonna come back to handball. And, you know, obviously they never did (laughs) as all my friends, you know, they started getting into, into basketball, uh, through middle school. And it's like, I felt like I never fit in, you know, like, you know, every day after school, they would go play, they would watch, you know, go watch the games. And, you know, it wasn't until I was like 27, uh, and I went to Thailand for the first time ever. And I like, you know, got into Muay Thai. I was like, man, this is actually something I enjoy watching but also doing myself and i think that that was the big like inspiration why i started traveling 
I feel like that's a big leap to go handball to, to Muay Thai. I feel like you skipped a number of steps in the in like the seriousness and the danger of the sport. Yeah, well, okay. So I did I did wrestle in high school for for three years, um, and then when it stopped, I was kind of like, well, you know, there's no, I wasn't good enough to wrestle in college, um, and, and actually my, my university didn't have a team anyways. I didn't know about like Brazilian Jiu Jitsu or anything. I would, that's another sport I got into later on. Um, also Thailand because I was at like one of these these fight camps um, where people do Muay Thai and uh, they, they've gotten really popular lately like like you see them in the you know the UFC trainers um, fighters go out there a lot but yeah if I knew about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and Muay Thai you know when I was younger I think I would have been more into sports hey never yeah. too late yeah and, yeah. and uh, <laughs> sometimes it is man for these sports it is well and, and and that's you know when I when I saw your, I guess your YouTube moniker is Johnny FD. At first I thought, oh, same initials as me. Maybe we got the same name. But then I realized, <laughs> I, I watched some of your videos and I saw it's fighter slash diver is how you came up with that, correct? Yeah, yeah. I I, I wrote a book um, when I basically ran out, of, ran out of money and I had broken, like broken too many little, like, like I had too many injuries where I couldn't, I couldn't fight for a while and I had nothing to do. I couldn't train, I couldn't fight. And I was like, man, like, what, what should, what can I do for the next, you know, two months while I'm just kind of recovering? So I sat at, you know, I was living basically at this Muay Thai gym, um, and my window faced the ring, so I could hear people training twice a day. So I'd be up at like six thirty, seven in the morning, just hearing people hitting the pads, like, watch out, ta-da, you know. And I would, I had this, you know, crappy laptop, and I was like, you know what? I've been blogging all these years about, you know, how to like live cheaply in Thailand, what it's like. People always ask me questions. Let me just turn this into a book. And I wrote 12 Weeks in Thailand, The Good Life and the Cheap. And when I decided to put my, my name down, you know, I think nowadays it's a little bit more normal. But, you know, I'm sure you, you guys all had, like, weird screen names um, back in the day with AOL or MySpace. You, yeah. you want to shout them out? We're, we're, we're old enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've gone through them all. MSN Messenger, AOL Instant Messenger. I, I have, like... Sometimes I just cringe heavily when I think back on some of the screen names I've had. Let, Even let, my ex- let, let's hear some. Let's hear some. Whoa, <laughs> okay, I'll tell it? you. I'll tell you one, which is probably going to might get me added by a few people. Even now, I've got my Xbox gamer tag, which I created when I was. I mean, it, it's going back now 16, 16 years, something like that. And uh, and this has to be kind of like like explained slightly. Basically, I kind of reacted badly to the culture of people being a little bit the kind of. Uh, People throwing around gay slurs a lot, mm-hmm. so I, I called myself Brokeback Eddie as my ah! as my name. So I have I've kept that ever since, and it leads to I'll randomly be playing a game, and and people will just ask me why why on earth my name's Brokeback Eddie. Every once in a while, I'll have like a new friend yeah. play a game with me, and they'll be confused. By I was it. gonna say the, okay. the the kids you're probably playing with now have never seen the movie anyway anymore so it's probably way over yeah. their head at this point <laughs> yeah that's true yeah. they just think i like horse riding or something. Yeah. <laughs> maybe and, and frank you want to say one of yours yeah mine would mine and i still use it a lot it's it was duka dunk 14 so 14 because it was my favorite number and duka dunk because when i was younger in school i was very talkative so my teacher would tell me, Duca, dunk your head. And I'd have to put my head on my desk, and I wasn't allowed to look up or speak for five minutes. So I just wow. took that as Duca dunk, and that was it. Not good at basketball yeah, in any sense of the way. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's good. Um, yeah, so I, I wanted to use Johnny 
but I was like, you know, I don't want to use my my last name, which is just Jen. And I was like, you know what? Let me try to squeeze a couple more keywords into this uh, Amazon search. So I put fighter, diver, or dive master, because the book was mostly about Muay Thai fights and scuba diving. It's a it's a pretty good name origin story. I mean, it definitely beats it beats what we came up with, and it's also it's really hard to name things. When we had to name this podcast a couple of years ago, that was like an endless debate. We came up with a number of different ideas. Then all the ones we really loved initially turned out they were taken, which in the world of podcasting is not that surprising. And then we kind of fell on the Big Chill podcast because, I mean, the origin of that, which we've discussed before, is there's a bar in London that when we go on group trips to London, we always start in the Big Chill. So that's kind of the origin of the podcast name. Mm. We also joke now that maybe people just think we're a, a podcast dedicated to the Big Chill, the movie from the 80s. But I've also not, not seen that, yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> those are the only two topics we discussed, Johnny, so you're, you're out of luck here. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess you've kind of hinted then at your origin story, I guess, mm-hmm. of your kind of YouTubing, ba- your nomadic lifestyle, and then that's spun into now your YouTubing. Yeah. What, what has your life been like in terms of travel and where you've gone to? And, and then how did the YouTube channel, channel come about? So on, on, on paper, my, my life's been just kind of this whirlwind this last 10 years. You know, I've been to 50 countries just you know, moving around every two, three months. Um, I worked as a diver for maybe four years, so I saw some of the most kind of like the, the most beautiful places in the world. You know, worked in the Caribbeans, worked in uh, over Thailand, over like Borneo, all these cool places. Uh, did Muay Thai. You know, I was. I don't want to like I wasn't doing it professionally, but it was also my only paycheck. So I was kind of I was kind of just a bad professional. Let's just say that I was trying to be I was trying to get to more time, but uh, did that for about three years. Uh, was okay at it, but you know never never great. And then from there, I was living in Thailand, and I just kind of accidentally stumbled upon you know, like a digital nomad kind of online business community. Got really heavily into that for about six, seven years. Um, I built a couple businesses. I made a bunch of money. And luckily, I was still living frugally, so I saved it all. And when uh, COVID hit, I had just sold my business because I had just honestly just got tired of of, of, of running it. I, know I just wanted to take a break. And when COVID hit, it was supposed to be just a little vacation. I was like, let me just chill. You know, I'm not doing, you know, uh, I can I can skate by for you know, for a year or two. And I decided, you know what, let me, let me try this YouTube thing. Um, just for fun, you know, let me see if I can, if I can make it a hit. I was in Sri Lanka, uh, all of 2000, 2001, or 2021. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I was the only one that was doing like, I was, like nobody else was traveling and everybody was at home with nothing to do. You know, people got tired of watching Tiger King. So they turned on, you know, Johnny, Johnny FD. <laughs> What was the what was the growth of the channel like then? How long did you feel as if you were kind of speaking to no one before you yeah. felt like you had a bit of traction? So if you go back on my channel and kind of sort by oldest video, my first video was uploaded in 2008, and I think it was one of my Muay Thai fights. And then I had a bunch of like scuba diving videos, and there was no there was no story, there was no like theme. It was literally a place to host videos so I can share it with my friends and my family, you know. And some of them have like you know, less than a hundred views, you know, even today probably. 
so definitely wasn't a place to to try to you know to to grow a business or get popular. Um, and then I started kind of putting you know more of kind of like my lifestyle stuff. I gave like apartment tours. More, I don't, I don't even know really why I was doing it. It was kind of just always a side hobby. I just kind of enjoyed it. But for the first, I want to say like eight years, there was very little little growth. It was very slow. Never made more than a hundred bucks um, from it. And in Sri Lanka in 2020, that like probably the first video um, I posted, you know, probably got like twenty thousand views. And then that, you know, the next video. Uh, really blew up and you know had like a hundred thousand views or something because there's just nobody traveling at the time so I went from from having a very small audience to having you know probably 30,000 uh, subscribers you know within a few months um, and it kind of just ball you know like it snowballed from there um, but what really like brought it to the next level then I went to, to uh, I went to Turkey for a while and I had like a whole series there, and people really liked it. Um, so that got me another, you know, thirty thousand subscribers, which is sixty. And then I uh, met Harold Balder out there, who was a super famous uh, YouTuber, who was friends with Baldwin Bankrupt, and we started hanging out in Ukraine. Uh, and he had me in one of his videos, and that's when it, things really took off. That, that's when I hit a hundred thousand. I think I discovered you through Bald and Bankrupt. Yeah, which I think is most a, people did. Yeah, I mean, it was a channel that, kind of one of those weird YouTube channels I stumbled across years ago of just watching someone explore countries I'm absolutely never going to go to. Yeah. So I, you know, I thought it's one of those times where you kind of question to yourself, like, why am I, you know, I'm, I'm not in really enjoying the content, but why am I spending, you know, at three in the morning and why am I watching someone travel to this remote region in, in the former Soviet Union. But, but that, that's but no. exactly it. It's because we would never <laughs> imagine ourselves going there. They're kind of like, but it's, it's, you know, you're curious, like, what the heck is out there? So I, I, I'm, I'm interested because you said, you know, you did this at a time when not many people were traveling because they really couldn't. How difficult was it for you to be traveling at this time and to kind of be able to make the content for the videos and do some of the things that are in the videos with everything maybe being closed or shut down or restricted? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, the first, I mean, the first series was actually had nothing to do with travel. Basically, I had done online business for like seven years prior to that, and people always you were asking me questions. Um, and one day, I was like, you know what? I have a month of lockdown, right? I physically cannot leave the, the property. I have nothing to do. Let me just see if I can just make this like, uh, like a video course. And I'll just put it on YouTube for free because I, I didn't want to sell it. Um, not that I'm against money or anything, but my mentor, the guy I learned from, he has a course. And I, I used to just tell people to buy that. But then I figured, you know, there's a lot of people who just, they won't buy because they're either cheap or they're broke. And I was like, you know what? Let me just, you know, make this kind of free thing and just put it out there. And that way, if anyone ever asks, I can just direct them there. So I spent the first month doing that. Um, and that kind of was the first kind of, big um, pump but then I decided to give a I think I yeah I gave a tour of the villa I was staying at um, you know because it was super cheap it was like I think I was spending like 200 bucks a month and I was living in this beautiful shared villa like right across the beach and then my friend this girl had an even nicer one that was like 
you know, 250 or 300 bucks in the jungle. And I showed that and I was like, man, like that really blew up. And then I decided uh, I wanted to go to the east coast of Sri Lanka um, because uh, the surf the surf season was starting there. And I'm not a good surfer, but, you know, I was, I was learning at the time. Um, and I decided to film just that journey from from the south of Sri Lanka to the east coast. And at the time, it was... It was hard. It's kind of scary because everything was unknown. Like we weren't really allowed to travel. Uh, things were technically still closed, so we were kind of like hoping we can we can actually get there. Um, but then things opened up in Sri Lanka. Like we couldn't leave the country. There was no more. You know, uh, it was very hard to get flights out of the country, and there was not really anywhere to go. And you, nobody can get in, so there were no flights into the country. But once you were there you can basically travel uh, anywhere. And that made it really easy for me to travel all of Sri Lanka. And I have seen now more of Sri Lanka than 99% of Sri Lankans. <laughs> That's great. <Interesting. laughs> a unique, uh, <laughs> you could add that to your YouTube channel description. Yeah. I've got one big question, which is something I always think about when I see people vlogging. And it was kind of something, a challenge I kind of had to overcome when we started doing the podcast, this idea of just recording me speaking to people. There's that sort of uh, imposter syndrome or, you know, just the just the slightly uncomfortable to wrap your head around the concept. Mm-hmm. I cannot imagine walking down a road and filming myself and knowing that you're getting attention from other mm-hmm. people, kind of observing, maybe thinking it's weird, trying to figure out how famous you are, you know, kind of all of the dynamics that are involved in that. How easy was it for you to start doing that? And can I, at this point, is it just second nature for you to have a camera as you walk down the street? Yeah, it's still weird. Uh, it's always going to be weird. Um, actually, yesterday I just did a live stream on, on kind of like the main street here in in, um, in Ukraine because everyone's worried about yesterday was supposed to be like Russian invasion day. And I decided to use a selfie stick for the first time pretty much in my life just because on the first stream at first it was it was like it was hard to just hold the camera the whole time but second people were complaining that it was just like a, kind of a close-up of my face and not showing the background so i was walking around with a selfie stick for an hour and it felt so awkward um it's like i i, I like I, I that's i'm lucky that's not my style normally normally my videos even though i talk to the camera a lot most of it is actually kind of short uh clips like 30 seconds to a minute max, and then I edit them together. So I'm never really talking to the camera in front of a big audience or a big crowd for, for that uh, that much time, you know? And I try to be kind of selective about it, where I try not to make it too awkward for people. Um, but yeah, it, it never gets that much more comfortable. And do you feel like, because obviously you're in a group of, you know, you're friends with a number of YouTubers who do similar things. Is that consistent among all of those YouTubers or... Do you think other people are just more accustomed to it? No, no, no. They, they, we all joke about it. We're like, you know, I think Bald even had said, like, if you don't think it's weird, you're a sociopath. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably fair. Yeah. That's funny. So I, I guess that kind of brings up, as you've just mentioned, yesterday was supposed to be Russia Invasion Day. You're obviously, you're based in the Ukraine. It's a focus for much of the world's media at the moment. Mm-hmm. How different is the sort of atmosphere and experience on the ground compared with say how it's being reported in international media. It's completely different. If I didn't have people messaging me from the U S or, you know, from, from, you know, 
basically outside of the Ukraine, um, it wouldn't really wouldn't be that big of a deal at all. Like my, my like people hardly ever talked about it uh, until the last few days when it was really the Western kind of you know, I, probably yeah, I guess the Western media influencing kind of the English speaking people. Um, to have you know Western friends, and then they started freaking out the Ukrainians, <laughs> and then some of the Ukrainians started freaking out. But really, like it wasn't like like here, it's not that big of a deal. Like they they've been at war with Russia for the last what, eight years now. Um, they understand that if Russia wanted to attack, they would have just done it. They're not going to announce it and say, "Meet me at the playground next Thursday at two p.m." You know, they would just do it when like in the middle of the night when when people are sleeping. So, yeah, it's been completely different, and it's like it's still, it still drives me crazy how much, like how many comments I get, like not just on my, like Ukraine live videos about you know the like the war and what's going on, um, and people ask they're like, well, if you're not interested in it, why like why do you do these videos? And I say, it's because if I try to do anything else, people just like bring it back to that topic anyways. Like my last video was about my dad's birthday and like changing a flat tire and like, you know, the, like this good seafood restaurant in Half Moon Bay, California and all the comments were about Russia. And I was like, come on guys. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so, so you, it's, go so, ahead. Frank. Like, so, so do you think now that there's this increased Western media influence, has it changed what's going on in, in Ukraine or is it still day to day is completely normal and you wouldn't suspect anything's really changed or now has it been such uh, kind of like an increase in media talking about it that now it's actually affecting what's going on there? Yeah, the, the, it's actually snowballed it. Um, for example, a lot of Ukrainians work for American companies or Western, like European companies, um, especially in IT. And one of my good friends, she just basically left the country um, because her her company said to her, "Hey, like we're you know we'll give you we'll give you a thousand five hundred dollars. Just leave Ukraine. We're worried about you know our employees." So she left the country, and uh, a few other you know uh, Ukrainian friends have done something similar, where they moved to you know Western Ukraine, closer to the, the Polish border, and it was you know. And at first, I was like, "Man, like I can't believe your your boss would give you." give you money to, to move because uh, I assumed she worked for a Ukrainian company and then I realized nope <laughs> it was it was the Americans but in terms of there's no and this might be so sound like such a simple question uh, aside from that it's it's kind of business as usual there's no food shortages there's not shops closed that otherwise would have been open yeah everything is the same nothing at all and you know the funny thing is if this was America uh, and I think somebody had commented this they're like you know um are people like stockpiling or like, or, you know, is there food on the shelves, right? And there was a whole discussion, you know, about it. And one person said like, you know, Ukrainians do poor to, to stockpile. Like, they, you know, they can only afford to buy what they buy. And, you know, honestly, that's kind of true for like for some people, right? It's, you know, some people's salary are still pretty low. But it's also just the mentality where they don't get scared as easily. Um, most people have some food and water at home anyways, just, just, you know, because, you know, they're kind of just used to being prepared. Um, for example, under my, under my bed here, I had like, what, 20, 20 liters of water, which is like, I don't know how many gallons, but like, you know, 
four big things of, of drinking water just because like there's, there's no reason not to be prepared. Uh, but I don't just do this in Ukraine. I, you know, I did this in Thailand. I did this in other countries where sometimes there's, you know, there's water outages for a day or like, you know, a couple hours. Um, so Americans, I think we are just so used to everything working all the time. And then when there's a panic, we freak out and we're like, Oh my God, we have nothing, <laughs> you know, like we have nothing. So then we run to the store and then we get this mentality of, Screw everyone else. Let me get mine. Let me make sure my, you know, my family's okay. So then, you know, that's how like the toilet paper fiasco came, you know, went right. Yeah. Uh, it's like, it's it's insane. Like, why did anybody need two years worth of toilet paper? No, no. I mean, I had friends at the beginning of the pandemic, and it was it was it's kind of like a sort of self fulfilling prophecy, right? You read, uh oh, there's going to be a toilet paper shortage, so everyone rushes out and buys extra toilet paper because they don't want to be stuck without it. But I mean, I had friends who I went over to their houses, and they legitimately had three to four months worth of toilet paper sitting there. Yeah, I mean, that's crazy. and and that's if they were using it very you know yeah. loosely and deciding oh, I'm going to have four plies with everything I do. See, Ed, Ed, Eddie's yeah. just lying to you because he didn't hoard the toilet paper, but he actually has about 200 containers of Pringles under his bed, similar to your water. So <laughs> he, there was a Pringle shortage in Paris because Eddie bought every convenience store out. <laughs> yeah, that's just ongoing. That's just a constant state of affairs. That that's was pre-COVID. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it's, it's just a different mentality out here. Like, people, people just don't do that. Like, it's, you know, it's a... Uh, I'm super happy I grew up in the U.S. because I wouldn't have this like entrepreneur mindset or this kind of the confidence of you know going out and doing my own thing. Like I never would have you know had the, the confidence to, like write a book you know for start an online business or you know or um, you know start a YouTube channel things like that. But at the same time, you know I think most of my friends living in the U.S. you know they're living kind of like these somewhat boring mundane lives, and you know their joy comes from you know, external factors like, you know, who's playing, you know, uh, this weekend or, you know, it's... Hey, jo- hey like- John, Johnny, don't, don't, don't kill our fan base. I understand why people are so into sports is because, you know, they're, they're like, they, they might not love their jobs. You know, they kind of might have just like this normal, you know, routine, you know, and they're just like, their lives like aren't that exciting, you know, and it's hard to travel from the U.S. Everything is so far away. We get so few vacation days. It's so expensive to get anywhere that it's like you know, unless you're into camping or something, like it's like what else are you gonna do, right? So you might as well go tailgate, you know, because that is a fun thing to do with friends, you know, versus you know, like like travel, you know, go on vacation every four, five years or something, you know? Yeah, I mean, Frank and I have both. I mean, we met in Europe. We've both lived in Europe. And yeah, it's definitely a different mindset in terms of travel. Not only, I mean, A, in terms of the time off, as you mentioned, and just the ease, the ability to do a weekend trip to another country, which is entirely feasible and affordable, you know, which is, you're right. If, unless you're in certain parts of the U.S. and maybe you can go to Mexico easily or maybe you could go to Canada easily. But for the large portion of the U.S., that's just not a possibility for a kind of weekend trip or anything like that. Yeah, definitely. You know, if I move back to the U.S., I'm I'm definitely gonna get one of these uh these like class was it class B RVs or like these these little van life fans, and I'm gonna use it to kind of drive around you know 48 states and um you know do some you know do some camping, do some fishing, do you know kind of just have that kind of life because I think that would be fun. 
but like beyond here it's so even from ukraine like it's it's harder from here because we have less flights but you know anywhere else in europe you know wherever you guys were i'm sure you can hop on ryanair for you know 20 bucks 30 bucks and you can, you can get to another country yeah i i remember the first time we did a trip uh because i was living in paris and we went down to marseille and me and two other people you know kind of thought like let's just rent a car and drive down to marseille and that just blew everyone's mind because they're like are you kidding me? That's like a five hour drive. And we're like, yeah, that's okay. Like, what's the point? Like you can take the train, you can fly. Like, why would you ever drive that? And it's like, well, in the U S that's not even a bad trip. You know, that's like, you want to take a weekend trip somewhere. Five hours is a normal amount of driving to get to where you need to go for your weekend trip. But in, in Europe, that was just mind boggling to them. So that was, that was the first eye opener for me where it's like, wow, the, the way that people travel for vacations and just the time they spend on vacations too is another thing. I think, you know, most Americans will take a weekend to a week, whereas, you know, people in France will take a month at a, at a place or something. It's, it's, it's different. It's, it's, it's definitely unique. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So like, I'm, I'm glad that I, you know, created this life where I'm not attached to anything back home. Cause I think for, for, most people, as they get older, they have more responsibilities. You know, maybe they have a house, maybe they have a mortgage, maybe they have kids, maybe, they have the, you know, their job is, um, you know, tied to one spot. So they can't easily move, you know. Uh, ironically, I've retied down now uh, here in Ukraine by buying a house and kind of establishing a life. Um, so I've kind of given up a lot of that freedoms. Um, you know, I, I it's the funny thing is I've never owned a TV until last week because... Ever since flat screen TVs came out like 12 years ago, I'd been living abroad. So, you know, I would just, you know, rent Airbnbs or places that had them. And finally, you know, I I conquered down. I was like, all right, I'm going to get like a nice big 55-inch TV. I have Netflix again. And I'm just like, I don't want to go anywhere. I just want to sit, you know, I finally have a couch. I'm just like, man, this is a comfortable life. You know, I can order pizza. I can, order, you know, I've been ordering buckets of KFC. And I was like, you know what? This is also a good life. I don't know if I would have been fully satisfied um, if that was my only option. I had no other option to do anything. But I think after all this travel, and now I'm like, okay, I've seen enough, done enough. Now it's time to chill, and you know, which is bad timing because now I can't chill because of this Russian thing <laughs> every day. But <laughs> you know, that's that's why I was so pissed to be honest. So it was more about just like, man, this is the worst timing ever for me. And that actually kind of brings up an interesting thing for me, and I guess you've sort of answered it. Is is there any element of you, from a YouTube perspective, uh-huh. that thought, hey, this is great because this is bringing additional attention to Ukraine? And as I guess, I don't know, I assume you're the sort of leading biggest English-speaking YouTuber in Ukraine on a, on a permanent basis at least? Was yeah. Was there no part of you that thought this is good for my channel? I mean, yes and no. I mean, like... I, no, I like if no, I don't wish this happened. Like, I'm not happy this happened. For, you know, uh, but since it did happen, I might as well be the one to cover it. Um, yeah, sure, it's probably gonna get me, you know, some more views, but not necessarily the right type of views because once they, you know, first, like, I have a bunch of people watching and subscribing that never would have been interested in, like, and probably aren't gonna be interested in my other videos. So I, I doubt my other videos about travel and things like that have even taken off. So if anything, they were kind of like dead weight where if, uh, you know, if 
a month from now, all my videos are about kind of like normal travel stuff. If they're still subscribed or YouTube is still recommending them my channel, but they're not watching it or they're, you know, they're just kind of, you know, uh, just watching like just a minute or two and clicking off, it's actually going to hurt my channel. So it's actually not a good thing. Unless they somehow, you know, just like <clears throat> fall in love with my content and just stick around. But I think, I think that's, that's going to be like 10% of the people watching about, you know, about Russia. Yeah. So I, I guess switching over maybe to a little lighter topic, I'm sure you get asked mm -hmm. all the time, you know, what's the best place you've ever traveled to? So I'll switch it up and say, what's the second best place you've ever traveled to? <laughs> what almost made it, but didn't quite get the number one spot. Uh, maybe Guatemala. It's a really cool spot, uh, especially for the Americans. It's you know, it's it's relatively short flight, kind of you know, similar time zone. Uh, actually, like from the like from the U.S., if I was living in the U.S., I would just go to Mexico. Like Mexico, and not just like Tulum or you know wherever people go all the time, um, or Cancun. Like Mexico is huge and has so many cool spots. Uh, I it it does suck that you have to be careful not to get robbed i think the the actual danger situation of getting killed by some like drug lord is very very middle school like it's i wouldn't worry about that but the chance of getting you know your your backpack stolen uh if you leave it you know like at a cafe or something when you go to the bathroom or you're just not paying attention that's super high so that does suck um this is why i like countries like thailand where there's a lot to do it's relatively safe uh, the problem is it's so far that if you go, you need to go for three or four weeks. If you go there as a top, you know, typical American tourist for one week and you just go to Phuket or you just go to Bangkok, you probably won't like it. Like you'll probably get ripped off. You'll probably, you know, spend too much. You probably won't really see the, the real culture. I don't think it's worth it. I, I, I think a lot of, you know, like the, the two things I recommend is either find a way where you can go somewhere for longer. Maybe, you know, now a lot of people can work remotely. So if you can go somewhere for a month, even if you're working for most of the time, you know, at least, you know, mornings, nights, weekends, you can, you can, uh, explore, you know, do stuff, do that, you know, instead of doing one, you know, a week and a half, um, somewhere where you're just gonna you know, stay at the resort and lay on the beach because you're exhausted, right? Uh, and if you if you really do only have a week and a half, don't go so far. Just go to Mexico or go somewhere close. So, so yeah, it's it's that's a great idea. And when when you talked about Guatemala, the first thing that came to my mind was I just thought of like, oh, the coffee must be amazing. And it it kind of got me to thinking when when I travel, I usually have kind of like go to things I like to explore everywhere I go. So for me, it's usually breweries and like independent cafe coffee shops. I always, I'll do my research a week ahead, find the two or three best ones and just always visit them. It's kind of like a first thing I do. I'll go there and then talk to the people there and see what they suggest for food, sightseeing, things like that. Are, are there things like, ca not categories, I guess, but things that every country or every place you go to that you kind of like, I wanna make sure I hit up this and this and compare it to other places or is it kind of just you get there and then you just do whatever whatever someone suggests? Um, I mean, luckily I'm usually in places for two or three months at a time. So like I, I kind of just do things naturally anyways. Um, but the things I, I look out for, you know, if, like, you know, once in a while I'm only somewhere for a week, right? Um, but yeah, definitely local restaurants. So not, you know, big chain of restaurants. I try not, never to stay 
you know, the, the touristy areas. I like, I like the local area, you know, the, the local spots. Um, I like to see how they hang out. I always try to go to like a market where they sell, you know, fruits and vegetables. Um, cause you can, you get a kind of a better feeling, uh, there. And yeah, I like, I, I like to walk. So I, I always do like one of those free walking tours, uh, where you just tip, you know, five or 10 bucks at the end. And those guides are usually super cool. Like I always give them a tip and then I kind of hang out after and, you know, I'll ask people in the group, say, Hey, do you guys want to grab some food? And I'll invite the guide and I'll say, Hey, like lunch is on me. If you want to come join. And usually they have an hour to hour or two to kill in between their next tour. Anyways. Um, they like meeting, you know, uh, you know, other people, especially if you're cool. And that's where you get like the real good insights on, on the culture of the people and where to go. Are there then things, I guess, keeping the kind of travel theme going, are there sort of tips or pieces of advice or, or smart decisions that you wish that you've kind of learned over the last, you know, few years of traveling extensively that you'd wished you'd known at the beginning, kind of key mistakes you made at some points? Yeah, really good question. Uh, the first thing is don't travel too much luggage. If you can, travel with a carry-on bag, you know, eight kilos or less, which is like the 15-pound, you know, that, you know, kind of carry on limit, like not, not even a rolling bag, just like a small backpack. Oh, my my, my really girlfriend's done. done. <laughs> She's done. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> She's already I mean, failed this. Is, <laughs> yeah. And people don't realize this. I mean, first, like no one ever wears all the, all the clothes that they think they're going to, they're going to, you know, they're going to wear. Second, you end up buying stuff or you want to buy stuff when you're on vacation somewhere and then you have no room. So you can't, you know, uh, you can't bring it back. Um, and then third, it just ties you down where you just like, you, you just, you know, you can't move around as, as easily, uh, and you're in a bad mood or stressed, you know, like here's like kind of an example. This is something I really admired about, about bald is him and Harold, actually, they both travel super light. So when they go somewhere, instead of first going to their hotel, their Airbnb to like check in and then, you know, maybe take a nap and then like you know, eat at the hotel restaurant and the next day they go somewhere. A lot of times they'll just go straight from the airport out because, you know, because they just have a small backpack anyways. So from there, if you're able to take local transportation, like take a bus instead of a taxi, first, you're going to save a lot of money. Second, you're probably not going to get scammed. Um, and then third, you really get to know like the local city and the culture and how, how things are, even before you get to your hotel or your Airbnb. And I think that, you know, that authentic experience is worth so much more. And I think the food is way better too. Like I remember when I was in Prague where I was staying um, like outside of the city center and right downstairs from where we were living, there was kind of this like, you know, you walk down some stairs and there was some, some bar downstairs. Didn't look like, you know, like anything special, but you know, it was the closest thing. And we we're like, all right, let's pop in. And on the menu, I saw the beer was 75 euro cents. So less than a dollar for, you know, like, like a normal size beer. And I was like, there's no way I was like, this, like, like this is literally cheaper than water. So, you know, me and my buddy, uh, we each got a beer and then we got like a pork leg or something. And it was so good. It was the best thing I've ever had in my life. And it turns out it was like a local brewery that just, happened like it wasn't famous or anything it just happened to be you know one of these small local breweries 
And then I remember thinking, man, like Czech beer, you know, super good. I want to do a a beer um, a beer tasting like tour. So I signed up, spent like a hundred bucks for some like you know official tour. And none of the beer was as good as what I had at that place. So I ended up going back, and I was like, man, this 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 local place I never would have found is ten times better than the most famous, you know, beer beer crawls or, or beer tastings. Interesting. I think I'll have, you'll have to send me the, the the address of that place. I might have to find, might have to move there for seventy five uh, seventy five cents a beer. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure things have gone up since then, but still, I mean, it's still dirt cheap. All right. Yeah, so and, and you know what? And for the for the beer fans out there, I'm, I'm doing a little story. We, you know, especially as Americans, we always hear that German beer is the best, right? So the first time I went to Germany, I was so excited, and I went to the uh, the bartender and I said, you know, hey, you know, uh, I'll, you know, it's my first first day. Give me the best German beer, or give me the best beer. And he's like, oh, I got this really good one. It's a uh, blah blah blah. It's from uh, Czech Republic. I was like, no, 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 no. I'm in Germany. Like, give me a German beer. And he's like, I can give you a German beer, but the Czech was, that beer is better. <laughs> and that's when I realized that, ger- like, I don't know how German beer got that famous, but it's actually, like, it's really not, like, not that great. It's, I it's think, okay. Yeah. I think it's just Oktoberfest and the big steins. Yeah. I think that's just creates this idea that it's, it's a huge beer culture. And yeah. I think that they're also the ones that kind of developed that, like, what constitutes a beer. Aren't they the ones that have, like, those strict rules for, like, this has to only have these three ingredients in it? They were kind of the ones that not mandated it, but put that out there. So I think it, people think because they make rules about what beer should be that they must know and have good beer, but probably not. <laughs> yeah. Germ- Germans just love rules. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... It's like, yeah, the, the, you're right. Like the pure, the German purity law, law for lagers. Yeah, that's it, and, and to be fair, law. they all, you know, yeah. And, and they all taste okay. They taste exactly like what you're going to expect. But it's kind of like saying like, you know, your meal is only going to have three ingredients. You know, yeah, it'll be consistently okay, but it's, it can be like, it can be better. Like for example, Belgian beer is super tasty. Uh, it's... But it's like always wild. It's like you know they flavor it with like you know crazy stuff. Like so, it's always going to be like a little bit sweet or a little bit like I don't know, like cherry flavored or like chocolate flavored or vanilla flavor or whatever. Um, and not just like the the hints of a chocolate aroma, you know, like that somebody would say, but like actually there's probably chocolate in there, like like cacao powder in there. So it's good, but you can only drink so much of it. You, you got to admire the Germans for doubling down on the, the yeah. purity law, not being put off in the, of that as a tag. Yeah, I don't know. But, like, that's, you know, it kind of reminds me of, like, inbreeding, right? Like, you know, it's a, it's a good idea to keep your genes pure. But, like, <laughs> bloodlines are kind of mixed. It's meant to be mixed after a while. <laughs> So, in addition to your YouTube, I know you have your you you got a pod your podcast, the Invest Like a Boss podcast mm-hmm. yep. that you're a co-host of. So it'd be interesting. We've had a number of discussions over the about NFTs oh, God. on this podcast. Uh, in particular, obviously, the sports NFT world uh-huh. is kind of booming. Uh-huh. Um, what are your opinions on NFTs? Do you own some NFTs? Do you think it's a bubble that is bound to burst at some point and people are going to get left holding the bag? Kind of what, what are your thoughts? 
Yeah, I mean, it is 100% a bubble uh, that's going to get burst. The, the technology behind it is cool uh, because you it's like having a – it's the first time, you know, you can have a, a basically a digital signature saying, like, you own this baseball card or basketball card or whatever. So that is cool. Um, that's going to stick around. But there's no reason why people should be, should be spending $30,000 on, you know, a baseball card or an NFT that is that new and not established. Like, even with – just think about like sports cards in general. It's very easy to now to be like, Matt, like, no, if you just held on to it, they're all worth a lot of money. But that's, you know, that's really not true. It's only the ones we remember that are worth a lot of money. I will guarantee every single person listening to this had wasted, you know, a bunch of money when they were young buying some, you know, whatever baseball cards. Johnny, whatever Johnny you're speaking to two of them. So. <laughs> Johnny, I, I, I just threw out about. 10,000 baseball cards because they were worth literally nothing. <laughs> yeah. And it's the same thing with, with NFTs, you know, and like the, the fact that the prices are even like have already gone so crazy. Sure. Some of them are going to happen to be worth a lot, but then majority of the people, 99.9% of the people are going to get screwed. Okay. So you, are you yourself? Maybe you don't want to disclose it. No, are you I, an I do not. I do not collect NFTs. Okay. Interesting. And not tempted to create a, a Johnny FD NFT start an additional. Wow. That, that's a lot of letters. The... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, my. Yeah, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, there will, there will not be a Johnny FD NFT anytime soon. I would say that. Interesting. Yeah. For me, the big, I mean, I'm definitely with a lot, like a lot of things, I feel like I'm. Um, I'm there. I'm kind of trying to hop on the train a little bit too late. There's always, I have that constant feeling. I felt like that a little bit with Bitcoin where you kind of had the thought early on. And even though if I'd, from the moment I started to think maybe I should be interested, if I'd invested there and then I would have still done incredibly well. Just the thought that I'm always a little bit too late kind of puts me off doing it. And I sort of feel like that already with NFTs, which is kind of crazy given how new they are. Additionally, for me, I have slight hesitancy based on the environmental impact it doesn't seem like it's a, a great thing for the world. And it, it's interesting to me that a lot of people who are pumping NFTs are also people who are telling us we need to kind of cut our consumption and think more about how we, our impact on the environment might be talking to a, a few famous actors out there. Are you talking about like the, 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 the mining process? Yeah, the mining, the server, the servers. And I know that they're working on more efficient yeah. ways of addressing that in terms of how it can be done. But just the overall sort of environmental impact of both I mean, at times, cryptocurrency and the blockchain, but also just the NFTs themselves, um, kind of on the basis of that, is a slight concern for me. Uh, I, I don't know too much about how, uh, NF, how uh, NFTs are generated, but most of them are, I know on the Ethereum blockchain, which is very different than Bitcoin. So you're not actually mining Ethereum uh, as you would Bitcoin. So it's a lot, it's not, you don't have the same kind of environmental problems. Uh, but that's not something I, I, I know you know, uh, a super ton about. Um, but yeah, I, I do understand that it, it, it does seem very hypocritical. That, like, I think that's why Elon, I, I don't know what his intentions were. Um, but yeah, when he was pushing Bitcoin and things like that back in the day, then he realized he's like, Oh, actually this is completely the opposite of, you know, what we should be pushing energy wise in the world. Yeah. Well, Hey, now he's donating Tesla stock to, to solve world hunger. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. Problem solved. Another problem solved by Elon Musk. That was like so. I, I guess a, then I was gonna say I was. It just go reminds ahead, me of the. I just saw a, a little 
uh, Instagram posts about the Super Bowl and all these celebrities who are, you know, always endorsing uh, for like climate change and everything. And then they showed the night of after the Super Bowl, there was over 250 private jets that just left L.A. and went all over back to their home base. And it was like, yeah, but please recycle. <laughs> you know, it's like, it kind of reminds yeah. me of the same type of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I saw that meme. It was pretty funny. So you're not in the on the NFT bandwagon, but then what would you, we've kind of asked for you for your travel tips? T- travel tips. What would be your current investment tips in an obviously somewhat volatile market at the moment? But but what would be the invest like a boss move right now? Yeah. So I like to keep more than half my money, or half my net worth in low cost index funds, um, most like Vanguard funds. Uh, these are just you know kind of like broad. Um, baskets of stocks with really low fees. So, for example, the total U.S. stock market the, and the total international um, stock market. That's you know always like as long as the the world hasn't collapsed, you know, in which we would have bigger problems anyways. That basically is almost guaranteed to to go up over time. You know, it has historically, and normally they go up about seven or eight percent a year. Um, you know, obviously there, there's ups and downs, but in general, if you just hold on to them, uh, they're good. And that's kind of like my, my, my baseline. That's probably between 50 and 70% of uh, my total net worth. I do try to keep, you know, a year's worth of living expenses just uh, in cash in a savings account. And that way I never have to sell if things go down. So I have, you know, half of it in Grivna, um, which is the Ukrainian currency, because that, that's what I spend in day to day, and the half of it in, in US dollars. Uh, and then, I have you know some real estate, both my, my physical property uh, that I'm living in. I have a rental property as well that, that gives me some money uh, each month. I have some other kind of um, real estate investments that are more kind of like a fund. Uh, and then for five percent of my you know I, I allow myself you know between five and ten percent uh, of my total net worth as kind of like the the fun gambling fund, whether that's individual stocks or um, you know cryptocurrencies or you know. Um, well, you know, like forex trading, whatever it is, I'll allow myself to have fun, you know, and make these kind of big swings. Um, but normally, you know, it's never over ten percent. Normally, it's about five percent of my net worth. All sounds very sensible. I guess that might also address. I know that a lot of you see it in your YouTube comments along the time, and you kind of address it sometimes on your Instagram. A lot of your audience is intrigued by whether you are. Wealthy or poor, living <laughs> frugally. I know it's like a constant source of intrigue for your YouTube audience. Yeah. Anyone who so, says net worth yeah. must have enough to be able to use the term net worth. <laughs> <laughs> or at least, yeah, at least the knowledge of what it means. Because, yeah. you know, the, the thing is people don't realize there's a big difference between, like, being rich and being wealthy, you know, and – like people think being rich is just balling out, having cool clothes, having a you know cool car, um, you know, and like yeah, you can look rich, you can you can act rich, but wealth is how long you can actually go um, with your current lifestyle, assuming you never work again. You know, you know, regardless if you quit or if you you know get injured or you know the economy goes down, whatever it is. So yeah, I've always liked uh, living frugally and. I, I, I tell myself, you know, I, I was joking with a friend, I was saying, I'm kind of like uh, the t- like the opposite of the Tinder swindler, where instead of trying to convince girls that I'm I'm rich, I, I try to convince them that I'm broke. 
Well, it's definitely, it's, it's obviously equally as intriguing. So I don't know, maybe in the future you have a Netflix show about you, but I I, I do find it amusing. And I know in a sense for the entire, the kind of, I say community of YouTubers that you're involved in, it's kind of a constant source of intrigue, I think for all of them is to know, because you're all, I mean, part of the attractiveness of watching the videos is it's not people splurging on super expensive things and being showy it's it's kind of attainable trips at all times yeah and it does obviously lead to people wondering you know are these people doing the most they can or is this a conscious decision to be as frugal as possible i i I can't tell you this that so i know a lot of like youtubers but also like you know instagram um you know what do you you call them like people people with big instagram audiences or big TikTok audiences, whatever it is, I will say this kind of almost, you know, 100%. The people who look like they're spending a lot of money usually are pretty broke, <laughs> like in, in real life. Like their net worth is usually pretty low. But the ones that are living kind of like a normal life but have like a pretty big audience, normally like they're saving up and they're doing okay. Yeah, and I guess that's also one of the challenges is similar to NFTs. It's a bubble that could kind of burst at any time, right? Oh, like, yeah. Your channel, for whatever reasons, just the audience moves on or you decide, I don't want to make YouTube videos anymore because other things in my life have popped up. So, yeah. and I mean, just TikTok, you know, there's there's people who were super famous on Vine who yeah. didn't manage to make the transition to other apps yeah, and, and just, it was gone. Actually, I, I personally know a guy who has a million subscribers on TikTok and he's broke. He has, he has no money. Like, and he's like trying to like, you know, get sponsors for like 150 bucks or something. He'll, he'll, he'll like sponsor anything, but like, it just like, it's like he's broke. Like there's just no, it's not an easy way to, to monetize. Um, I like YouTube because as long as you have kind of content, that's kind of uh, you'll never have evergreen content, but like, like as long as you have like a personality that people actually want to follow you um, based on, they want to know more about you, you know, what you're up to kind of regardless of where you go or what you're up to. Those people normally have kind of a, a longer shelf life, um, but the ones that, you know, kind of just like the one hit wonders, kind of like music, right? It's like sometimes it's it's, it's not very stable. So, yeah, I'm I'm lucky that YouTube has never been my primary kind of source of income. Um, it's kind of hard now to explain. Like when I meet people and people ask what I do for a living, I mean technically my only source of active income is YouTube. So I tell people I make videos on YouTube and, and then people are like, well, like, okay. You know, and it like, sometimes these things don't, don't click. Right. They're like, like, you know, how can he afford to buy this, you know, this property or like, you know, oh, if he has that many subscribers, shouldn't he, you know, be popping, you know, champagne more often. Like, it's kind of like people either way overestimate or way underestimate, um, how someone, you know, how much money someone should be making. Um, for me, I'm kind of very fortunate that my kind of passive income through my investments would be able to float me, but having this YouTube money, that's kind of just spending money. So if that goes away, it'll suck, but like, and I'll have to cut back, but you know, as long as I'm, I'm doing it, it's kind of like, you know, it's, it's like the coolest job, you know, I've ever created for myself because it, it forces me to go out and do, do things, uh, go places and travel, you know, and you know, it, it gives you enough money to, to pay for those trips. Yeah, you're taking like the, to, to, to throw a sporting reference in here, yeah. you're taking like the Rob Gronkowski approach to managing your finances. He famously has never touched a cent of his NFL salary. 
He has lived oh, wow. exclusively off of his sponsorship deals and has never done anything with the actual salary that he's earned. So, which is surprising for someone who comes across as mm. kind of an idiot, but <laughs> making smart financial decisions. Yeah, uh, I, I I really like this uh, HBO sh- uh, series uh, Ballers. I'm sure you guys have seen that. I wish I could like if if anyone's you know if anyone's like some uh, NFL star or something that wants some financial advice, like hit me up because I like I think most of them are just so bad with their money, like. And I just feel bad. I'm like, man, like you know, this isn't gonna last forever. Like it's, you know, I see that's very that's the issue. Way. I don't, I don't think they do realize it's not gonna last forever. That's that's mistake <laughs> number one that they're making. <laughs> well, also, I mean, ESPN did a documentary part of the Thirty for Thirty series called Broke, and because uh-huh. I, you know, more than f- I think more than fifty percent of NFL players go broke uh, within three years of retirement. Okay, and I mean, it's a slightly misleading stat because most NFL players careers are you know one or two years so it's sort of you imagine that they're earning tens or hundreds of millions and they're not but the fascinating thing is just their lack of financial awareness just people who are completely unaware of the fact that tax exists they think they sign a hundred million dollar contract and that means a hundred million dollars hits their bank account and you know in part it's no through no fault of their own it's just their own backgrounds and the fact Mm -hmm. that they are not in a position to have kind of families educating them on that fact but it's just fascinating to see the mistakes that they make along the way. Yeah. And like, it's like, it's like lotto winners too. Like, and it's over and over too. Like you would think that, you know, somebody, I mean, here, here's the problem is like the, like it's not in the best interest to the NFL to even get involved because they want you to, they want them to stay broke so they can stay hungry. So they can keep coming back every year because they had, if they saved, you know, 90% of their, their sponsorship deals and their, their salary, they would retire after four years, but you know, like if if they're spending everything, they have to keep keep playing. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, again, throw it. Antonio Brown, for example, I'm sure he's broke. He has issues where he's like people are taking him to court for not paying three thousand dollar bills. Meanwhile, he's you know signing twenty million dollar contracts. It's, <laughs> it's, it's insane. Yeah, so, but, something doesn't add up. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Either he's just a massive asshole, or he's really struggling financially. So. Yeah, and you know it. I, it could be it could be both, but also just like being that terrible with money, they just they doesn't even know what's going on. Yeah, and, and I, I I know we've kept you for a while, but so I'll just I have one more question then. So we do a lot of uh-huh. food related talk on the podcast, and we like to discuss. Okay. Um, well, I guess one like the best things we've eaten, but also you know like how much we've eaten. So I want to ask you both of those questions so what are some of the best things you've eaten and what was a trip you went and you just ate so much that you sat down and afterwards and it was like wow how did i just eat that much food <laughs> well i mean to, to answer the, the the latter like in asia i always order three meals because it's just like it's, it's like the portions are so small uh ukraine usually two and the ukraine yeah, like portion is small yeah, well, I guess it depends where you go, but yeah, in general, they're like, they're not small, they're they're like normal. I want to say that because <laughs> I went back to the U.S. and I remember I went to the Cheesecake Factory and I was like, you know, like my, you know, it was like I'm like, there's no possible way I could finish this chicken pot pie. Like it was just, it was so much food, and then you get a dessert after that. You just like, man, I ate like four thousand calories just, or probably like eight thousand calories just then. So yeah, the U.S. portions are insane. Um, I eat a lot, but actually, 
I would say traveling. I don't know. Like it depends. If if I'm moving around like a lot, and I'm like I got one week to to get to try everything, that's when I overeat, and that's another reason why it's not good to to go somewhere for such a short trip. But whenever I go to Italy, that's that's my spot. Like I I, I love Italian food. I love pasta. Love pizza. Uh, I, I love all that. So so is that the best food you've had when you were in Italy? Uh, it's it's one of my favorites. Um, tacos in Mexico, like really really good. Um, but you know, in California they're good as well. Now you're talking my language. Thai food, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Uh, I love Thai food. I would say like Thailand has the best food. I can tell you where where, where they have the worst food. <sighs> Actually, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get a lot of hate for this, but <laughs> most people I know like don't like the food of the Philippines. Let's just okay. let's put it that way. Um. In Sri Lanka, the food in Colombo, their capital, was excellent. There was great restaurants, but the entire rest of the country, for whatever reason, like like every single other place in the whole country, the food sucked. And I I've heard it was just because if you're you know if you're a good chef, you would just go to the big city and, and make all your money there. But like just imagine if L.A. had great food, but Every other state and city, you know, had just terrible food. It just wouldn't make sense. So sp- speaking of the the tacos, there's a really good, now that you have a television and Netflix, I don't know if you've seen, there's a really good documentary series from uh, the Mexican Netflix uh, called Taco Chronicles. Mm. And each, Ooh, okay. each episode, I, and I think you'd really appreciate it because each episode uh-huh. they take a specific type of taco and go to the actual region that it originated oh. from and go back to like back to the basics of how is the most traditional method of preparing it and you know what was the meat that was the traditional meat they yeah. used and how they did it and it's it's an awesome awesome documentary series you have to watch it's called Taco I, I can't Chronicles. I can't watch that from here <laughs> I can't watch that because I'm gonna be just feeding for it I'm just gonna I'm just gonna I'm gonna hate myself. So, so I, I, oh, yeah, I live. Sounds, sounds great. I live in Arizona now. So what we used to do is every episode we watched, we would just then Google what was like the best we could find in Tucson, and then by like the next okay. day or two, we have gone to that spot and been like, I wonder if this is as good as what it was on the show. <laughs> oh man. And that's gonna be then, because as I said, we've we've kept you slightly longer than we said we would. But my final question then, because you have posted several times about Mexican food in Ukraine. Yeah. How good is that on a kind of? Is that just the best Mexican food you can get there, or is yeah. that legitimately? It could kind of not go to toe with toe to toe, say, with the best Mexican food in California, but at least it wouldn't be it wouldn't be laughed out of town. Yeah, like it's not bad. Like it, like if you had that in. California or even in Mexico, you'd be like, ah, it's okay. Like you wouldn't complain, but like you know, there, there's much better places in Mexico and California. But uh, and Arizona, the, the guy that opened it is, <laughs> I don't know, I have no idea. <laughs> but um, the, to be fair, the the guy who opened it is from California, and that's why it's 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 relatively authentic. Wow, maybe we got to get that guy on. I want to know the background of the, the <laughs> Californian who moved to Ukraine to open a Mexican yeah. restaurant. That yeah. is, yeah. But, but Johnny, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a real pleasure speaking with you. I guess a chance to, for you to just do a plug just for our listeners where they can find you on YouTube, where they can get your podcast. Yeah, just Johnny FD on YouTube. But also uh, my blog is johnnyfd.com. Uh, I, I wrote a lot about like my travels in you know, the last seven years or something. So go through that. But yeah, just, just, just find me anywhere. 
Great. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Good talking.